tonight to Proverbs 22. If you don't have a handout, you'd like one sermon night, slip your hand up, we'll get you one if you don't have one. And Mona, you forgot all about Mark. How could you do it? How could that? You got one left. I think that's because you give everybody a copy. We'll just have for a few more. Mona, just make sure everyone's got one. Kids are making paper airplanes in the back and all that good stuff. That's all good. Proverbs 22. This verse, Proverbs 22, verse number 6, has helped people. It's also discouraged a lot of people. This verse has made people feel like failures when it comes to parenting. This verse does a lot of things, but the problem is we don't understand the gist of what the Bible's talking about right here. And so we got to understand something. This is not a promise from God. This is the book of Proverbs. And we're going to talk about that tonight, and I'm going to lay out some things. Tonight as we go through, and it's good to see parents here and that have children and things, I'm going to give some parenting tips tonight. And when you talk about raising kids and all of that, you know, I look at it. I am learning as we go along in this thing called life. My oldest is 10. I'm not a success by any means, and I don't feel that I've arrived or that I know what I'm doing. So I hope that you don't take it that that's how I feel tonight by some of the things that I say. But I will say this, parents in the room, when's the last time you picked up a good godly book and read how to be a better parent? Because every one of you should, and I should be. Because we are learning on this thing as we go through, and shame on us for not getting better at it. Just like, I'll just throw out some other shame tonight. Like, Pastor, you're supposed to be encouraging. I'll encourage you in a few minutes. When's the last time you husbands picked up a book on being a good husband and read it? You should always be growing as a husband, as a father. Uh, Well, we could go the other way. As a wife, when's the last time you read a book about being a godly wife? Every, you got to understand, none of us have arrived. We all are working at this thing, but we could put a little bit more work in. And this is the thing. I want to be the best husband I can be for Caroline. So I need to work on getting better. If I settle and say, I've gotten to where this is, this is what you got, Caroline. 15 years this next month, I hope I can grow more than what I've done in this past 15 years. I got more to go. If I look at William and say, hey, the dad you've had for these 10 years, that's all you're going to get. It's not going to get any better than that. No, we should be growing. The Christian life, we sh- if you get complacent in the Christian life and think that you're where you need to be, you're going to be in trouble. We, we should be growing. We should act be actively be looking at things. And that could be whatever you do for your profession, your job, too. It, grow. That find new things you think about, you know, I look at Russ and I think of baseball for some reason. I don't know why I think of baseball when I look at Russ. But uh, if a pitcher just relies on his fastball his whole career, that arm's going to get tired after a while. He's got to learn to throw a curveball and a changeup. you got to grow. And so we need that in our homes. We need that all together. And so tonight, I'm going to give you some things that will be a help. But I know there was a time in my life where I felt like I was an expert on child rearing. Do you know when that was? When I had no kids. Because I thought, my kids will never do that. They'll never do this. I see how those kids are acting, but my kids will never do that. And then you look later on like, oh, yeah, I said that, didn't I? You've got to understand something. I could have told you years ago how you should raise your kids, because I thought I had all the answers. But I tell you today, then I had children and realized I don't have all the answers. Someone has suggested this progression of a pastor's titles for sermons on child rearing. Are you ready? Ten rules for raising godly kids. Then it changes to ten guidelines for raising good kids. Then it changes to five principles for raising kids. And then it goes to finally three suggestions for surviving parenthood. And you notice that there's less confidence every time with the different titles that are there. But as we continue our series here on questions, and as we get here today, we look at a well-known passage, but this verse is very misunderstood by a lot of people. We're going to explain it tonight. 
Proverbs 22, verse number 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Let's look at that verse one more time. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Father, bless the next few minutes tonight that we have together. I pray that you'd be pleased and glorified, and I pray that you'd help us as we look at this tonight. Guide our thoughts. Help us get what you have for us from this passage. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. As parents, we read this verse, and we're hoping that we do enough so that our children won't depart from it someday. Or we wonder, we look back and say, was it enough? We pray that the failures as parents won't lead to our children not being what reaching the potential that they should be. Imagine with me two sets of parents. I'm not going to use any names in the room, but I'm going to just, just names I thought up. Joe and Jill. Isn't that a great name? Not this Joe, because it's Joe and Maria, but Joe and Jill. They're godly parents. They go to church regularly. They've raised their children in church, and they try to be a good example of Christ to their children. They have three kids. Two of their grown children are also following the Lord and seem to be doing well in their Christian life. But one of their children has turned away from God and wants nothing to do with God. Joe and Jill look at Proverbs 22.6, and they feel guilty. They think that they must not have done something that they should have done for their child so that they would be in the faith like they should be. One parent, so a parent sees guilt, then you've got Bob and Barbara. They're also Christian parents that dedicated themselves to raising their children to follow God as well. However, of their two children, one has totally turned their back on God. But Bob and Barbara have hope. After all, they think God has promised that because they taught this child biblical truth in their early years, he's for sure going to come back to it someday. So you have two different sets of parents, and one could look at this verse, and they could be feel guilty. What didn't I do? You could have another set of parents on the other side look at this verse and be like, we did those things, and they have hope that someday their child's going to return to it. How do you have a passage that could give hope and guilt to people at the same time? The problem is, you've got you to look at this, there's a misinterpretation of this verse. Say, so, well, what's the misinterpretation? Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. They call this, and I think the best wording would be a devastating myth, is what we could look at when it comes to this verse. Because if you don't understand this verse in context where it is, the first thing that could happen is it burdens parents with guilt. It gives parents unfounded hope. It also gives, it fosters pride in parents. Because I'm training my child right. That parent must not have done a good job with their kid because their kid, that's not, that's not how God wants anybody to be. You see, the myth is basically, and this is what people believe in this verse, that God promises that a good and godly home equals good and godly kids. That is not what this says. And so for a little bit of time tonight, I'm going to break this down for you. I'm going to give you some tips on training, and then we'll be done. Number one, we see the proverb of probability. I, someone worded it that way, and I love that wording, that, this, that Proverbs is a proverb of probability. What do you mean? The book of Proverbs, Old Testament. Now, we, did, we went through all the books of the Bible. It's been a while now. But does anybody remember what is the, what, so what part, of, what part of literature, so the Old Testament, you got the, the law, you've got the history books, you've got the poetical books, You've got the major prophets and the minor prophets. So the book of Proverbs, what is the book of Proverbs? Where does that fit in? What writing is it of the Old Testament? With, but it's, the, it's a poetical book. 
It's a book of wisdom. It's a poetical book. And there are a lot of poetical metaphors and things of that nature. It is a book on wisdom. The theme of Proverbs, if we were to look at tonight, comes from Proverbs chapter 1, verse number 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And as we look at this and we tie it all together, what the book of Proverbs does is there are two possible paths in life that are spoken of in the book of Proverbs. The first one, you can write this in your notes there, is the way of wisdom and life. Wisdom is what we want. Get wisdom, get understanding, forsake it not. The Bible tells us in Proverbs, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all that getting, get understanding. Wisdom is important. The way of wisdom leads to life. That's what the book of Proverbs teaches. I took, in our Christian school this last year, I took chapels for a little bit of time, and I broke down the book of Proverbs for them. When you enter into life, you enter into life as a simple person. You don't know things. You don't know how to tie your shoes. You don't know how to bathe yourself. You don't know how to eat. You don't know how to do any of those things. You're simple. And so what happens is God gives you a mom and a dad to help instruct you in life, to teach you from being a simple person, to teach you the principles of life. And what's going to happen is you get to a certain point where you become an adult or whatever the age may be, and you got, you've been taught all these things from church, You've been taught all these things from your parents, all these different things. And then there comes a point, what are you going to do? You take the things that you've been given, the understanding and knowledge that you have and the instruction you've been given, and you do one of two things. You can make wise decisions based off of that, and that leads to being wise and prudent. And I'm giving you the short version of about seven weeks of things with, that I did with the students. Or... You take the instruction that you've been given, and you forsake it, and you become a fool. And a fool leads down the road to being a scorner. So the progression in life is we all enter life simple. We get training, we get education, we get given instruction, and you get to a point in life where you got to decide, do I take what I've learned and apply it to my life and be wise? The wisdom will lead to prudence down the line. Or you take all those things and you forsake them and you go the way of the fool, which could lead to being a scorner. So when you look at the book of Proverbs, you see that it gives us, as we look here, there are two possible paths in life. The first one's the way of wisdom and life. And then secondly, number two is the way of folly and death. That's what it comes down to. There are two roads to take in life. And you'll get to the point in life, and our young people get to the point in life where they have to decide which way they go. Are they going to go the way of wisdom and life, or are they going to go the way of foolishness and death? That's really the two roads. That's what it comes down to. And so we got to understand, when you think of Proverbs, the word proverb, it means a short, pithy saying in general use, stating a general truth or a piece of advice. So a proverb, think with me tonight. So this book is full of comparisons between common things and complicated abstract truths. When you study the book of Proverbs and you read it, you will scratch your head sometimes and go, hmm, and not quite get all of it. We are supposed to dig in deep to figure out some of these things, think them through. So you have this in your notes, and you'll see this. The book of Proverbs, the Proverbs here, are divine guidelines and wise observations. That's what they are. They are observations about how life generally works. But you got to understand something. It usually happens, but not always that way. Let me give you a few examples. The book of Proverbs makes the claim that the wise are honored. It says that over and over again. In life, are the, are, the, um, are the righteous always honored? No. But a lot of times they are. Think about this. The wicked don't succeed, the book of Proverbs leads down that road. In life, do the wicked ever succeed? They do for a time. They do. 
Think about this one with me. The diligent, do the diligent ever lose everything in life? Yeah. But in the Bible, but book of Proverbs says the diligent is going to be made fat. They're going to be, things are going to be real well. How about this one? The lazy, you know, the lazy won't do well in life. Do sometimes the lazy have more money than those who work all the time? Yeah. So are you saying here that the book of Proverbs are all lies? No, this is what you got to understand. The book of Proverbs, they are not promises from God. They are principles to live by. That's what the book of Proverbs is. So you got to understand when you look at this, you think about God's promises are absolute. If God says he's going to save you, he will save you, and you can take whatever God says to the bank that it's true. No one ever claimed that the book of Proverbs are promises from God. They are good guidelines and good principles to live your life by. But they're not absolute like the promises of God. Does that make sense to you tonight? So a lot of times what happens is, and I found myself doing this for a long time, if your child goes the wrong way, but you raise them right, they're going to come back. That's what I've said. That's a probability. It does not mean that they're going to. Because children make their own choices. It gets to the point where you can't teach them or make them do anything anymore. They choose to go the route that they go. So when you look at this and you think about Solomon's wisdom is that if we do all we can to raise our children in the Christian faith, in the way of God, the probability is that they'll remain in the faith once they grow older. This is not a promise, it's a probability. So as we look at this and we think about this tonight, let's go a little deeper. How does Solomon suggest that we raise our kids? Number two, we see the process of parenting. Bible scholars disagree with the tone of this passage, but I really don't care what Bible scholars think. So Bible scholars can lead you down the wrong path a lot of times, or they could be absolutely right. Who knows? Who cares? We're going to take the Bible for what it says. And you can never go wrong with just taking the Bible for what it says, but this is where we go wrong. And this is something that churches, pastors need to do a better job on, myself included. And I think I do a better job of it now than what I used to. You've got to take the Bible in context where it's at. You cannot just preach a truth. Because I could pick out any verse I want and preach a truth from a verse. What's the context of that verse? It's just like Proverbs here. This is not a promise from God. But many people believe it is a promise from God, but it's not. The odds are... Think about it this way. The odds are if you raise your kids in a good, godly way, the odds are they're going to stick to it as they get older. But there's no guarantee. That's what we see here. But the odds are it will happen. So what? how could we help ourselves out tonight? What's the process of parenting? What do we see here? First thing that we see is look at what it says here. The Bible starts out in verse number 6 here. It says, train up a child. The word train has three ideas in Hebrew associated with it. William, come on up here for a minute. I'm going to have you help me for a minute, okay? The first one, as we look at the word, where tr- we think about train, train up a child, the first one is to dedicate. So write that down, to dedicate. This word's used three other times in the Old Testament, and it, in Scripture, in reference to houses or buildings being built. It's the idea of dedication, dedicating a building, or an inauguration. It's an intentional commitment and consecration of our children to God. What it is, it's the idea of saying this, William, this is God's way. This is what you need to do. That's what train, that's what this to be dedicate, to dedicate. This is the way we live our lives. We're going this way. And then the parent goes right alongside with the kid as they go that way. Not the parents say, this is the way we go. I'll see you later. That's a big problem. The best example your children have is you. And so to dedicate means to set them on the path that they're supposed to go. 
Number two, the word, um, or you think about that, you think about what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 4, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. To bring up carries the idea of to nurture, nourish, provide for with care, to train them. And what happens is when you dedicate and you set them on the right path, that's what, that's what Solomon's talking about right here. You can go sit down now. Number two, when we talk about this word training or train up a child, has the idea to dedicate, but also has the ideal idea train can also be to throttle. Now, I know what you're thinking, but that's not what this is talking about, okay? This type of throttling means to make narrow or to discipline. The idea is with this word training and this second thought with it is, the idea is to put a hedge around your kids and to have external controls to help guide them where they need to go. You think for a horse, a horse, they put a bit horse's mouth, right? A horse person would explain that that bit doesn't control the horse, but it's a point of contact that the rider has with the animal. It's used to direct the horse's natural desire to run, but to do it in a safe and useful manner. So this word train not only does it mean to dedicate, but also has this idea to throttle, which is the idea to use external controls with a child until they've matured and they've learned the inner controls to be able to do it for themselves. That's why a parent says no, and the kid's like, I don't understand. Why no? Because you're not mature enough to understand yet. And mom and dad are training, throttling you to help you go forward. The third idea of this word train is the idea of instructing or introducing someone to something. So as we train our children... Our desire is to create an appetite within them for the things of God. You cannot force feed biblical principles to your children. You have to create an appetite in them for the things of God. They need to get a desire for it. It's important. And as we look and we do these things together, so what you've got to understand is we must prioritize the training of our children to raise up a godly family. And you th there are three words that come to mind. There's got to be time, consistency, and there's got to be done intentionally. In order to train, there's got to be time, and you've got to be consistent. That's a tough one as a parent. If you do that again, you're going to get in trouble. And the kid knows they can do it ten more times, they're never going to get in trouble. You need to be consistent. I'm preaching to myself there. And you got to do what you do intentionally to help guide them where they need to go. The verse continues on, train up a child, and it says, in the way he should go. In the way he should go. Now, you got to understand, we've talked about the book of Proverbs has, there's two ways, right? There's the way of wisdom and the way of the foolish. You are to train them in God's way. And when we think about this, when we look at this here, Proverbs teaches the two ways. The first one, as we look here, you have the way of the, you have God's way, and you have the world's way. God's way is the way of wisdom. The world's way is the way of the fool. That's how, what it comes down to. So we are to teach, train up your children, dedicate them, throttle them, instruct them, in God's way. Think on that for a minute. Are the principles and things you're teaching your children today pushing them to God and create an appetite for God? Or are the things you're teaching your children today creating an appetite in them for the things of this world? And you've got to be very careful here. Because you can't love God and love the world, right? But if we are showing our children, and you'd say, well, pastor, you're supposed to train them in God's way. Train up a child in the way he should go. That's what the scripture says here. And as we look here, we see God's way, we see the world's way. Say, well, why, why do I have to do this? Because you've got to understand something. 
children are sinners. They come into the world little sinners from the very beginning. Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked who can know it. Little children have wicked hearts. They do. Just like older people do. How about that baby that's just crying when nothing's wrong? He's eat, they've eaten their food. Diaper's been changed. You say, are they being bad or not? I don't know. Could they be? Could they just want their way and be held? Could be. What, where does it come down to? But this is what we know. Do our children naturally obey or do they naturally disobey? They naturally disobey. Do our children naturally share or do they naturally be selfish? They naturally are selfish. Do they naturally talk back or do they naturally not talk back? They naturally talk back. It's a fl that's in all of us. And as we look at this, that's why you've got to understand something. The natural way of a child is not to go God's way. The natural way of the child is to go the way of this world. Why? Because they're a lost sinner just like anybody else. Don't lose sight of that. That's important to realize. If we leave our kids, and this is the problem. A lot of parents today, and I think some in our church, we're letting the internet raise our kids. We're letting all these other people raise our kids. And we're stepping back and just letting them go their way. I'm going to let them figure things out for themselves. That's wrong on your part. Why, why are you even a parent if you don't teach your children the right things to do? Maybe you should give them to someone who could teach them the right things. And you might not like me saying that, but that's the truth. You are giving your children, they're on loan from God. They belong to God. And your job is to train them. And yet today, many parents don't train their kids. And train them in the things of God. Train them how to work. Train them how to sweep. Train them how to clean a bathroom. Teach them how to cook. Teach them how to do laundry. Teach them how to do things. It's important. You maybe don't have your four-year-old do laundry, but you know what I mean. You've got to understand something tonight. When we look and we talk about choosing the right way and teaching them the right way, kids today have so much from social media to all these different things. You've got to understand there are cultural pressures on them today, social media pressures, media pressures. The world's leading them to do the wrong thing. And if a parent won't step in and point their children in the right way, you're not doing your job. And I, I told you, I don't know everything, and I don't have it all figured out. I don't even have a teenager yet. But if a teenager lives, and you could, I'm saying this out loud because this is how it will be. If a teenager lives in my house, they will follow my rules or they won't live there. I don't care if they're 16, 17 years old. They're still your child. You train them. If they don't listen, that's on them, but at least you do your best with it. And so we see, number two there tonight, we see the process of parenting, which leads to the precepts, number three, the precepts of parenting. I'm going to give you some thoughts from a book that I've, I haven't read the entire book, but there are five thoughts out of this book that really drive home. This will help. If you have preschoolers, this is going to help you. If you have early elementary kids, this is going to help you. If you have elementary age kids, this could help you. If you have junior hires, this could help you. And if you have high school students, this could help you as well. So as we look at this, and we'll dive through these things here in a few minutes, we've got to understand something. Everyone who's a parent is far from perfect. Would you admit that tonight? There are no perfect parents. But do you realize tonight that the gospel and the word of God can overcome the shortcomings that we all have? Do you believe that tonight? I believe that. I believe that to be true. Because what God can do is he can use imperfect parents to produce kids that love and follow him. And it's happened for many centuries. And as we think about that thought, we, we talk about what to teach our kids. And in the context of this proverb, we see train up a child in the way he should go. What should we be, what's the precept? What should we be teaching them? We see that that begins with the word of God. We think about Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, verse 15 and 16. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, 
which are able to make thee wise into salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. In verse 16, and all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And what will teach your children the truths of scripture? What will it do for them when they learn those things? It will make them wise for salvation. It will equip them to do good works. It will prepare them to give an answer to every man that asks them of the hope that's in them. And it prepares them to stand for right things in the culture that they live in today. This teaching must be intentional. Our kids must learn the Bible. If I were to ask you, and I'm jumping ahead of myself. I don't want to jump ahead of myself. But think about this. What do you teach your children? What is the most important thing your kids need? Let's just pause here for a second. If you think about a kid, what is the most important thing a kid needs? Someone? Love. A kid needs love. A kid needs security. A kid needs food. That's very true. What else do kids need? A mom and a dad, yes? And that helps create the security, those things all tie together there. Do they need a good male influence? I believe that's very important in kids' lives. I think that's one of the problems we have today. Go down to the Chino prison and see how many of them had a dad in their life. Um, How about self-worth? Is that important? That's probably important. How about education? Is that important? That's what this world would say is the most important things. The number one thing for our children is God's word and the gospel. That's where it all begins. You say, well, I I thought of that. Then how much do you teach your children the word of God at home? If it's important, do you do it? The most important thing that our children need today is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what they need. They need to learn it. They need to know it. That's the way that they should go. So how does that practically look in our lives? Well, this is what the book of Deuteronomy tells us. Verse, chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. And these words which I have commanded thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest down in thy house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou riseth up. So you see this, we are to be sitting, walking, talking, riding in the minivan. That's, that could fit in there somewhere, I'm sure. What are we to talk about? The things of God. What do you do? You incorporate the things of God into everyday life. You present the truths of God to your children in a compelling way. You make it real and practical to them. And then you model it in your own life. You know, we earlier, Michael, you mentioned it's been a rough couple weeks. So a great example of that. So as you're going through those rough weeks, you should be letting your kids know you're talking about how God's there and all these things. So one of the things that, like, for you that you could do is, so life's been rough right now, but kids, this is what's been going on, but look at what God's done. And you let them see and you tell them what God's doing in your life. That's actively, that's putting God in front of them and putting it in a, in a good way. One of the things that I've noticed, and I, I was not a pastor's kid, and I thank God I wasn't a pastor's kid. Joyce was a pastor's kid. I got pastor's kids. I see there are some pastor's kids who love being pastor's kids, and there are some that wish they never would have had that position. Justin, you're here on that boat. But I want my kids to love what we do. And so I try to teach them how God works all these things out and how God's in it. And that's what this is talking about. And that's what we're supposed to do. And we've got to understand something is the goal of Christian parents ought to be to create a family atmosphere that makes it easy for your children to follow Jesus Christ. That's what we want to do. And it all starts with the gospel. Kids need the gospel. And, what is, and we, what's the way that they should go? They need Jesus. But this is the thing. You cannot do it for your kids. You cannot force them. You can't choose for them. 
It's the work of the Holy Spirit on them. All you can do is point them in that way. God has to do the work. And as we think about these things, and as we look at this, our children, God needs to reach their heart. And they need to trust Him as their Savior, and that's so important. And as we go a little deeper here, and we'll, I don't know if we're going to make it through all this tonight, because I still got a lot to go. But we will, we'll go a little bit further tonight and see where we get to. If you have kids, I'm going to give you some thoughts right now. I started reading a book, and the book is entitled Raising a Modern Day Joseph. And you talk about a good kid in the Bible. Joseph was a good kid. Was he perfect? No. But he was a good kid. And he, this is the thing. He ends up being in Egypt, and he was still a good kid when mom and dad were nowhere to be seen. It's just like you talk about someone who really wrote a book on child-rearing and things. It should have been Daniel's parents. Because that kid goes to a foreign land, and he's willing to stand up for what's right. He knew the word of God was ingrained in him as a young boy, and he knew he had to stand for what was right. Those parents did Deuteronomy 6, verse 6 and 7. And that's what we need. But as we look at this, and... um, in the book, the guy calls these master life threads, and he lays out five principles to help your kids as they go. And I want to give these to you to be a help to you tonight. The first word is the word respect. The word respect. And this principle is based basically on Proverbs 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And this focuses on preschoolers. Say, well, why? Because the, you think about this. The biggest heart issue for a preschooler is how they view authority. And this is the time to teach them about God's authority. And the best way to do it is to encourage them to obey your authority. Because if they can't obey mom and dad's authority, how are they going to obey God? It all starts there. It's teaching them as preschoolers to obey the authority in their classrooms. And so the word respect is really important. And you think about this, we as parents really are the first picture of God to our kids, and that's scary. And it's important that they learn that they need to obey. They need to obey what mom and dad say. They need to obey God. They need to obey others in authority. And this builds a foundation on which to begin their growth. But that's really important as a preschooler to learn that word respect. That's why you'll notice, and when, you know, Matthew's getting ready, he's going to be in K4 this year. And there are ways that the teacher wants him to do stuff. And when you, and the kids have to learn to do things a certain way. Because it's a thing of, you obey. And so, for a preschooler, the word that's important is respect. Number two, the word wisdom. The word wisdom, this is, this is a focus on the early elementary years. You see, why, why is wisdom important? What is important to these kids is truth and how they view truth. So we want them to see the Bible as God's truth, knowing that it's God's wisdom. And you think about this, where did Timothy learn about Where did Timothy get his wisdom from? Where did he learn about the Bible from? It doesn't say from his local church. It says from mom and grandma. 2 Timothy 1, verse number 5. It says, do you have that verse? You don't have 2 Timothy 1, 5? No. It says, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which first dwelt in thy grandmother Lois and in thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. And when we talk about this wisdom here, you know, we love, I love being able to have your kids in our church. I love that they can go to a class on Sunday and the Bible can be broke down a little easier for them and they learn all the basic Bible principles. I love that we can have a kid club on Sunday nights and that they learn about creation, all those different things. I love that we can have a week of vacation Bible school and draw them into God. I love the fact that we have a Christian school. But I want you to understand, their kids class, their Sunday night kids club, their vacation Bible school, and their Christian school don't replace where this wisdom needs to be founded. It needs to be founded at home. 
And you got to understand, the early elementary years are great years to give children a great biblical foundation. Most of the Bible stories and the memory verses I started memorizing all started at a very young age. If we had time, I could quote you passage after passage after passage I learned in first grade. We're talking 30 years ago now. I still remember them to this day. It's a great time in life to learn those things. You see, during those years, you need to teach them the stories of the Bible. You need to teach them how the Bible's arranged, how it's organized. Give them God's biblical truths. And the most important truths are the truths of the gospel, and so important. And so, for a preschooler, they need to learn respect. For an early elementary kid, they got to learn wisdom. And then number three, elementary age kids need to focus on the word grace. Why? Why do you think that is? What is one thing that you hear that kids get to a point, second, third grade, around that age, that's not fair. How many of you, how many of you would say that's a true statement? That's a true statement. That's not fair. I think a lot of kids say that. My kids say this. You got to understand, it's not about how you're treated. It's about how you treat others. And how God has treated you. And how God's shown you grace. And how God's shown you mercy. And you've got to understand something. That's what Titus 2, verse 11 and 12 is all about. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. In elementary school, this is when a lot of kids fight. We need to teach them grace. But they don't deserve it. That's the whole point of grace, right? Did we deserve God's grace? No, not at all. But God sure been gracious to us. And shouldn't being a, the, being a follower of Christ, being a child of God, should change how we interact with people. Don't you think so? I think that's true. And so the word grace is a great word for elementary kids. For junior hires, the word destiny, destiny, not this destiny, but destiny. Think about this. As a junior hire, they start thinking they're weird. They fill out a place. And what they got to figure out is they got to find acceptance and significance. Why am I here? They got to see the big picture of things. And we can all, and that's what that's what that age should be all about, junior high. What are they here for? To be a living sacrifice to God. God, they are important to God. You mean something. God has a plan for their future. A sense of destiny tells them that I am important because God made me the way I am. I am important because Jesus died for me. I am important because God has a plan for me. And that's what junior hires need to hear. Let me give you the last one. And we'll see if we end or if we try to just throw our last final thoughts here. But what do high schoolers need? High schoolers need to learn God's sovereignty. Think about Isaiah 45, 5. I am the Lord and there is none else. There is none besides me. In verse 7 it says, I formed the light and created darkness. I make peace and created evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Look at that verse. Do you, have the, you don't have those verses on the screen? So in your notes, you probably have them there. Just look at that. Look at verse 7. I formed the light and created darkness. Keep on reading there. I make peace and created evil. I might do another week and give you that verse and break that verse down for you because that verse, it would help you to get a little deeper understanding of that verse, but we don't have time tonight. But what do, what do high schoolers need more than anything? To learn about God's sovereignty. Why is there suffering? Why does God allow wars? Why do bad things happen to good people? And when you trust in the sovereignty of God, it helps you get through those times. And that's why a high schooler needs to focus on those things. If you've got nothing else tonight, just think about those things. Younger kids need to learn respect. 
Your early elementary age kids need to learn wisdom. Elementary kids need to learn grace and learn to get along with one another and treat each other the way that God would have them treat one another. And I mean, and kids, you look at me. All you kids look at me in this room. I know I'm talking about parents and what they should, but this is, this is your stuff right here. Each of you should be kind to each other all the time. It doesn't matter if you like someone else or you don't like them. God loves all of you, and God has been so good to you, you need to be nice to everyone else. And then in middle school, you need to figure out that you have a purpose and you belong, your destiny. And then as a high schooler, God's sovereignty. Now, I'm just going to give you these last couple because I'm not going to spend another week on all these things, I'm, and I'm not going to spend all the time to go through them, but I'm just going to give them to you. Number, number five of the Roman numerals is the pain of parenting. The pain of parenting. The Bible says, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. As parents, we're to instruct them, we're to discipline, we're to train them, we're to prepare them. We are to, William, come back up here real quick. My job is to train this young man, to teach him, to do, to do the things of God and say, all right, William, and he's only 10. I've still got more time. Thank God for that. There's going to come a day where William's going to go on his own. Be like, William, this is what you need to do. This is the way I've led you. But this is the hard part, parent. Or you take your hands off and you step back. And this is where parents look at themselves and say, what did I do wrong? you got to understand something. The problem is not Proverbs 22.6. The problem, and let's be honest, all of our parenting needs help, so we'll leave that one alone. This is what it comes down to. At some point, William is going to make a choice. He makes the choice, not me. I can't control what he does. Right now, I can control a lot of it. I don't want you playing video games. You're not going to play video games. Someday, you can play as many video games as you want. I'm not going to have any control over that. But there comes a point where you say, I've taught you these things. Now you've got to decide. Think about the prodigal son and the story of that dad. That son wished his dad was dead so he'd get his inheritance. And he turns his back on everything, goes his own way, and the dad just lets him go. That's the pain of parenting right there. The dad didn't go and drag the son back. The dad waited. That's pain right there. He waited and hoped for his son to come back, and he did. Is that a promise that every child that goes away is going to come back? No. The prodigal came to himself, and he came back to but that's the pain of parenting. you got to understand something. It, the pain of parenting is if a child chooses a different path than we've taught them, we feel like we're a failure or that God's promise is not true. We already stated here tonight, it's not a promise. It's a probability. And at the end of the day, you cannot make your kids do what's right. You can point them and train them and that's it. And as we look at this and we think about this, there's no guarantee. There's not even a guarantee that even after they step away that they'll come back. Say, well, what do I do if my child stepped away? I just wrote a couple things down here. Take these with you. Think on these things. Number one, pray. You got to understand something. God never gives up on his children. He never gives up on his children. You might say, I don't see it happening. Just pray. Pray. Number two, and I believe this is very important, proclaim your love for them no matter what. They need to know that you love them. I had someone several years ago come to me, and they're like, Pastor, my child's gay, and I hate that. What am I supposed to do? You want to know what my words were? Are they your child? Yeah? 
love them. But what about what they're love them? Love them. That's what you need to do. Love them and let them know that you love them no matter what. Because you do. And you could say that you're upset at your child. You, you will always love your children. But love them. The third thing is, plead with them. But be gentle in your disappointments. But be honest about your feelings. Don't force it too much. And I'm not an expert on these things. And then point them to Jesus. Show them Jesus' love. But there's that pain that's there. And then lastly, and whew, we went long. We're done here. Number five, the potential of parenting. The curriculum we use for Vacation Bible School, the curriculum we use for the Kids Club, is written by Answers in Genesis. Ken Ham is the guy that leads that. He said this. He said, the way we train our children will affect the way they train their children and so on generation after generation. The way we parent today affects the next hundred years. Let's be honest. Why, one of the reasons why our world's going the way it's going because parents let up many years ago. Let's not do those things. Let's push forward for God. Be the example. And as we look at these things, so when we look at Prov the book of Proverbs, are the book of Proverbs, are they promises or principles? Principles. Do they always happen or are they probable? They're probable. So when, and I read Proverbs every day. Don't take Proverbs as a promise from God. Look at it as this is the best thing to do. Like we read this tonight, the best thing to do with our kids is to train them in the way they should go. That's what we should do. But there's no guarantee on how the outcome is going to come because the kid decides for themselves which direction they're going to go. So some of you in the room need to quit blaming yourself. Others in the room need to quit judging people and their kids being like, they must not have done a very good. <laughs> Wait till your kids get older and see what they do. Be graceful with one another. Love one another. Be merciful. Pray for one another. But realize that what you do and how you raise your kids is very important. And let's do our best to raise our kids for God. Because someday, I'm 36, if the Lord allowed me, I would love to pastor 50 years. That's 40 more years. I would love that. I don't know if that's going to happen. I could be dead tomorrow for all we know. But these kids are going to be the future. If we aren't training them right, there's not much of a future for this place. But if we get this book into them and train them in the way they're going to go, they're not all going to turn out right. But the probability is that more are going to turn out right than don't. And so let's just do it God's way. Point them in God's direction and see what he can do. Father.